Welcome to the NM Talks Healthcare Podcast. On this podcast, you'll find thought-provoking insight into critical topics surrounding the healthcare industry. Each episode features Nelson Mullins healthcare attorneys and special guests who offer a variety of experience in healthcare. My name is Hannah Cross. I'm joined by Julia Hartley and Travis Bustamante in today's discussion of privilege in internal investigations. I am a partner in the firm's Washington, D.C. office, member of the firm's healthcare practice. My practice focuses on fraud, waste, and abuse matters and providing compliance advice for healthcare providers. I am super excited to have Julia and Travis join me today. Uh, They are both partners in the firm's Charlotte office and are members of the firm's electronic discovery practice group. It's a group called Encompass. It was started in 2007 and was one of the first law firm-based e-discovery groups. They are considered one of the largest full-service electronic discovery firms in the country. Having worked with them both personally, I can vouch for this. They are experts in their field. They concentrate on electronic discovery, information management, business litigation, antitrust litigation, and data breach litigation. They serve as discovery counsel to clients large and small in complex litigation, advising them regarding discovery response strategy, search and review methodologies, and e-discovery challenges. They also counsel clients in response to regulatory inquiries by the U.S. Department of Justice and various state attorney generals during all phases of the electronic discovery reference model. So at this point, I'm sure you have no questions about why I'm here talking with Travis and Julia about this topic. Um, They have a lot of experience with privilege and in the healthcare context. So I'm going to ask them a few questions in hopes that we can learn from them steps that companies can take to keep information concerning an internal investigation privileged. So Julia, I'm going to let you kick it off and level set for us. How is this uh, important and what's the practical impact? Well, hello, Hannah. So good to to see you and talk with you uh, today. Um, Travis and I are happy to be here. So yeah, um, you know, payers, hospitals, providers, um, all sorts of players in the healthcare space um, have to deal with um, internal investigations on a pretty regular basis. Um, they're often called to um, investigate uh, potential uh, misconduct um, by by employees within the company, um, contractors. Uh, vendors and um, internal investigations are an important tool to evaluate the level of of risk um, that 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 conduct may um, mean for the company and whether whether the conduct was actually was actually taking place and the degree um, of of the any wrongdoing. Internal investigations can be triggered by, um, you know, in internal um, uh, bylaws or um, internal um, events triggering um, an investigation. Also, can be triggered by outside forces, uh, auditors, um, lenders. Um, um, sometimes require that uh, internal investigations um, 
be done be done within the company. And oftentimes these uh, issues are issues that the company um, would would like to keep uh, to themselves as much as best they can. They're they're sensitive sensitive issues, um, issues that could potentially um, harm harm the company if uh, if the facts or um, even the existence of the investigation um, got out, which is why uh, oftentimes companies are looking for ways to keep the investigation under wraps. And one of the ways yeah. to do that is through privilege. That's well said. I know that when we work with clients on internal investigation, all of that is very, very true. Um, Travis, will you give us kind of an overview of what we're talking about when we say privilege, right? Like what what types of privilege are there and how are they different? Yeah, thanks, Hannah. And um, echo Julia's thoughts. Glad to be on talking with you. Um, one quick thing before just given the overview of the privilege, I also just wanted to flag that what Julia and I often see from a practical impact is that we'll get brought in as e-discovery counsel to clients once they're in litigation. And if there was an internal investigation that happened before the formal litigation, one of the first things we hear from clients is, oh my gosh, we have to make sure that this investigation stays privileged. And then we start peeling back the onion and looking at what they did each step of the way. And it, it, it often, there's pieces of the investigation that can be protected. Um, but if there were things that the, that the client had done differently along the way, or if they had folded in counsel maybe a little earlier in the investigation process, they could have had a, a broader protection over that investigation. And sometimes that comes as a surprise yes. to our clients. They just assume that the internal investigation is all privileged no matter what and there aren't nuances to that so that sometimes comes as a as a surprise exactly right so what, what we're seeing is right there's an increase across the board in internal investigations at least from what we're seeing um, in our practice group with our healthcare clients um, and anytime you've got an increase in documents being created that relate to sensitive subjects that are likely going to litigation they're going to end up in discovery down the road, either on a privilege log or coming out um, through document production productions. So that's kind of the practical impact we're seeing and, and why this is important. Um, I mentioned that there were some steps that you know clients can take on the front end to protect information created or provided during an internal investigation. And really, there's two privileges at play um, that we see can be asserted. The first is the attorney client privilege which hopefully folks who are listening um, have seen that come up in a number of contexts, uh, but it is applicable to, to internal investigations, assuming you have an attorney involved in the investigation, right? So the attorney-client privilege protects confidential communications between an attorney and their client um, that relates to or provides or seeks legal advice. So you got a couple of elements. And the first one, like I mentioned, you got to have an attorney and you got to have a client. Um, once that box is checked, then the communication actually needs to relate to the provision of legal advice. So it can't just be the client talking to the attorney about going to dinner or playing golf um, or watching football or any of the fun things that attorneys talk to their clients about, right? This has got to be focused on an issue that actually relates to legal advice. And the good news is internal investigations often do. They do have some nexus to legal issues, risk, liability, 
And so you can create that nexus to have attorney-client privilege apply. The second protection that we see often come up in internal investigations is the work product protection. And the work product protection is actually broader than the attorney-client privilege. It's gonna protect any documents or information that were created because of a reasonable anticipation of litigation. Um, so for work product to apply, there's really just two things. You gotta have, the company has to be anticipating litigation and that anticipation has to be reasonable. And then there has to actually be some documents created, gathered, um, compiled in furtherance of that litigation. So how do- Can you assert these privileges on the same subject? Like, could they both cover an internal investigation? Yes, yes. Information documents can be both attorney-client privilege and work product, and we often see them hand-in-hand, hand, especially mm -hmm. things that are attorney-client privilege first, right? So you've got an attorney and a client communicating about sensitive misconduct that led to an internal investigation. Well, if that ultimately leads to litigation and the client and the attorney anticipate that when they are creating the communications, work product would also attach to those communications. Mm. So talk to us a little bit about how to apply either or both of these in the internal investigations context. Yeah, so the, the initial step to try and have these protections attached is to set up some type of initiation document for the internal investigation that is driven by counsel. That's um, a gatekeeping issue if you want to have attorney-client privilege attached. We've seen instances where companies will kick off an internal investigation in their risk management department, for example, who is not an attorney, and then ultimately realize, oh, crud, there's a lot of risk here. We need to bring in our in-house litigator and hire an outside law firm. And sometimes that's too late. Um, and so all of the work that that risk manager did on the front end before counsel was brought in, that company may face an uphill battle in keeping that protected if it ultimately goes into litigation. So that initiation document's key. Um, obviously, you've got a whole spectrum of how strong your privilege claim is to how weak it is. Um, involving counsel on the front end and have them directing the investigation. So they're conducting, the outside counsel is conducting the interviews. They're drafting the analysis. They're making the requests to the technical folks at the company to pull the right information. Right, they're actually leading it and memorializing the results of the investigation. That's going to be on your most likely to be privileged end of the spectrum. On the other end is when you've got investigations that are being run um, by non-lawyers and they create their own, I'll call it work product, but it's not work product protected, right? They create their own report and maybe that ultimately gets shared with counsel down the road. Well, that work that was done by non-lawyers outside of any direction from counsel it's going to be less likely to be privileged in that scenario. So are you describing a situation, Travis, where the, uh, an internal investigation, parts of it could be um, privileged and parts of it are not? Yes, we see that often. Um, and again, it, it comes with some frustration when clients face that down the road in, in litigation, that something they thought for sure was going to be privileged Turns out it's not because it's simply facts being gathered by non-lawyers who were not operating under an anticipation of litigation. Um, so for example, we see it in the healthcare context uh, with False Claims Act cases when we're pulling together reports of claims. And I say we, the company does, 
And so, you know, they have some indication of a potential violation of the False Claims Act, and they kick off an investigation about what claims might be at issue for it. And if that investigation is being led by a non-lawyer and they're pulling that information, that roster of claims may ultimately be subject to discovery in the context of the investigation, right? It could be subject to discovery outside of that, but the context of the investigation could actually wind up pulling that work that's being done into discovery down the road. And then you could have later parts of the investigation where counsel is involved, where they're you know, drafting memos or requesting additional information about the roster claims that could be protected because at that point, it's all being driven by counsel. Why do you all find with your clients uh, in this space that they're interested in protecting investigations? I mean, what's the benefit? Because it sounds like a lot of work, right? Well, again, Hannah, you know, oftentimes these investigations deal with, um, you know, sensitive uh, issues within the company, um, you know, stuff that they just would rather not um, advertise outside of the of the company. It's, you know, things that may be not a good look um, for the company. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, we always want to protect um um, we always want to protect the legal advice being given within within a company and not uh, not chill the um, you know the free flow of of um, of legal advice within the company. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. And uh, you know when Travis brought up the False Claims Act, I mean that's a huge mammoth in the healthcare field. A lot of companies are reactive to the threat of False Claims Act liability. And there's an intent standard in the False Claims Act. So I wonder if also when you all advise in your e-discovery practice, what gets pulled in and what hopefully doesn't, I'm sure there's a lot of strategy around that. There certainly is, Hannah. And when we get pulled in on the front end of investigations, we often will set up an entire communication protocol for mm-hmm. how the company should communicate with us and with the subjects of the investigation so that we've got it organized and cataloged and tracking a process that down the road is easier to claim the protection over and defend the protection. And how they communicate internally, right, Travis? We want to, um, you know, cabin communications to particular channels um, within the company. Um, and that could that could take various forms. I mean, keeping um, attorneys on emails is, is important, but also, um, you know, maybe taking communications out of chats, out of teams, mm. keeping it in in email um, or or by phone, and keeping the the team small, um, not bringing in any unnecessary um, folks. Just keeping establishing the team, keeping it small, um, and you know, th- this seems obvious, but making sure that nothing is shared outside of the company. Um, with a with with third parties that could waive privilege. The other piece I want to circle back to Hannah on your question about you know the importance and and why this comes up. Well, right, if a company is in a spot where they're having to do an internal investigation, one, it's probably pretty sensitive, and if they want to keep it privileged, it's probably not something routine or something that they're they're doing frequently, and that results of the internal investigation, if it's actually going to play out down the road into litigation, you're doing the work of your adversary as part of the investigation, Mm -hmm. right? 
you're finding the worst of the worst because you're trying to get a, a true risk assessment of what the company's exposure is going to be. And so that's really what's driving the goal to protect it. Um, and that's one of the reasons why work product can be such a strong argument if you've got that anticipation of litigation, because you can go to court to defend and say, listen, we were literally trying to figure out what our risk was. And we had our lawyers driving those questions and driving that investigation. We cannot just hand over the keys to the company to the other side now that we're in litigation. This is our core opinion work product of our counsel. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's those are good points. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm sure it resonates with a lot of the listeners. And I've heard a few times from both of you that it's important to set up an investigation on the front end. Um, I like the point about having a roadmap for how you communicate. What are some of the ways that if either you do these things and then it starts to go wrong or you don't do these things, why why do you lose the privilege? Do you, do you lose it? Do you waive it? How does that work? So I can I can start here, Hannah. And I think the first point I want to make is that the, the case law about when investigations are privileged and not is all over the map. And it's a super fact-specific inquiry. But you're right. There are some tips and tricks that we help clients with on the front end to help keep things privileged. Um, the communication protocol we referenced is key. Uh, again, the involvement, the level of involvement of counsel and how much they're driving the investigation is a critical factor. Simple things like when you're speaking to witnesses within a company and providing them an upjohn warning before so that they know that the privilege belongs to the company and not them individually is a critical step so that they know they can't go out and share that information and waive the privilege on behalf of the company. Keeping your investigation under the corporate umbrella is also important. We see it sometimes in the healthcare context where um, investigators in an internal investigation will want to go speak to third parties, patients, um, billing vendors, things like that. And once you start going outside the company and bringing in third parties, you open the door for waiver. And remember, if you're asserting attorney-client privilege, the waiver could be a subject matter waiver. So you well, just one communication where you've divulged privileged information to a third-party vendor, for example, the court rules that's not privileged, and suddenly the whole subject matter of the internal investigation could potentially be subject to discovery. So there's some important downstream impacts, and it's why we are so um, concerned on the front end to make sure that communications are handled appropriately um, to be able to help set up our clients to uh, have the strongest defense for their privilege claims down the road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I think something that I find interesting about what you've said in the privilege and the work product, and I recall you mentioning that work product was actually more expansive, which I'm not sure most people would guess. You know, talk to us a little bit about how work product is more expansive and why that's an avenue that listeners might want to keep in mind. Sure. So the what I was driving at by saying work product can be more expansive is let's operate under a set of facts where you the, the company does anticipate litigation. They're doing an internal investigation because, for example, they got a civil investigative demand from the Department of Justice. Um, so there is a reasonable threat of litigation out there and they're doing an internal investigation to assess their risk. Once that work product is triggered, you are covered. Um, and protected not only for the communications the client's having with the attorneys, 
but also all of the work that folks at the company are doing at the direction of attorneys. So going to pull claim spreadsheets, like I said, setting up calendar invites um, for the witness interviews, those types of administrative and ministerial things that don't necessarily have substantive legal advice, those can still be arguably work product um, because the only reason why you're why the company's taking those steps is the anticipation of litigation. And so down the road, you can protect those things. And we typically, once we get into litigation, we'll try and wholesale exclude those types of communications from even a privilege log because it's such a softball claim or protection um, of work product uh, that we, we can generally try and negotiate that with the other side that we don't even have to go through the burden of, of logging that information. And a privilege log for our listeners that might not be familiar, I'll try to give my uh, layman's description based on my work with you all, and you all correct me. But it's it's a time-intensive endeavor, right, in litigation in which every document or communication gets described on essentially an Excel spreadsheet, and you have to defend every single thing. Is that right? That's right. And, and right, it goes back to Hannah. Remember, we said how clients are frustrated to learn sometimes that their investigations are not privileged or portions. They also get frustrated when we tell them that we've got to put all of the communications, if we're going to argue they're privileged, on a privilege log because mm. um, privilege is an expensive, uh, time consuming, burdensome endeavor to get things on a privilege log. And so, uh, you know, that's a, that's, we can probably do a whole separate podcast on that piece, Hannah. But mm -hmm. avoiding privilege log obligations by setting up exclusions uh, is very helpful for clients. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot here. So, Troy, I'm hoping you can kind of wrap this up for us. I mean, if if listeners take away anything from our discussion here over the last 15 or so minutes, what do you want them to remember? You know, that's a great question. And I think it is, you know, be be forward thinking um, at, you know, at the get go, like Travis has said several times, set up your internal investigations smartly, um, anticipate kind of worst case scenario that you, you know, you find what, what you're hoping not to find. But um, you, you find things that put the company at, at risk and um, that and, and and assume that there will be litigation down the road. And if you're thinking about it that way, thinking um, about what could come down the pike, um, I think you're 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 going to set up your investigations um, in a in a better way and and a more protective way of the company and the privilege that um, privileges that are afforded to the company if they do things the right way. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I you know. Um, I think it's probably worth encouraging people to reach out within their company to counsel and encouraging them to call their outside counsel if they have questions. I mean, you know, our law firm, of course, serves as outside counsel to a number of healthcare companies. And in my practice, I reach out to you all. You know, we actually rely on each other to make sure that when something on my desk might get to your desk, I need to know what I can do. And I, I think, Travis, you work with, uh, clients a lot on that aspect. That's exactly right. Well, thank you all so much. Thank you to the listeners to joining us uh, on the discussion of privilege in internal investigations. I'm so appreciative, Travis and Julia, of your time. You all are a wealth of knowledge. Um, 
If our listeners uh, have a topic of interest for a future episode, please reach out if you want to hear more about the privilege log. I'm sure Travis is willing to talk to us for another one. Um, And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of the NM Talks Healthcare podcast.